Fill this place with your presence. Come be our special guest. Let's have all of our members to stand. Visitors, you remain seated for just a moment. The ushers are coming down the aisle. They have a guest packet we want to give to you. There's a gift in there for you, and there's a visitor's card. If you'll take it in a moment, fill it out, drop in the offering plate. We want to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us. I'd like to send you some information this week about the church. And then once you get the packet, go ahead and stand with us, and we're going to sing together and worship together. The Lord is welcome here this morning. Amen. Amen. How many of you come this morning wanting the Lord Jesus to show up? I want him to come at church. When he comes, it'll make a difference. Let's have all the men that will come. Let's just gather around the altar, take this service to the Lord, and let's just ask the Lord to be Lord of this service, to move in every heart, move in every life, to meet every need. I believe he wants to do something for us today, and I am open to what he has. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome here. We ask you to come in saving power. We ask you to come in mighty power. We ask you to come in glorious power. Lord, we just give this service to you that everything about it, Lord, will show and express our desire for you. 
and how that we want you to be in our service and we want you to work in our service. So move today. Glorify yourself in every little detail. Bless every heart. Speak to every heart. And we'll praise you and thank you for it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's sing in worship. Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands for heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands for heaven. shake hands and fellowship one with another. Welcome our guest today.
Thank you. You may be seated. Senator Usher has come forward to receive her offering. And again, if you are visiting with us today, we want you to know how much we appreciate all of you being here today. Good to have the George family with us. They're missionaries uh, to the prisons. Would you folks stand? Good to have you. Let's welcome them to service this morning. Good to have you with us today. And others that are visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. We have some special guests that I'm going to recognize right after the offering today. But I just want to make mention a couple of things. Next Sunday, as you know, is homecoming and the beginning of our Bible conference. And I hope that you have been praying. I, I look forward to this time every year, don't you? And excited about it. We've got a lot of guests coming in. Uh, seven, eight different states, I think it is, will be in, and just a number of, number of folks, a lot of new ones, a lot of the old ones are, will be back with us again this year, but all of that gets started next Sunday. Now, of course, on homecoming, we always have uh, dinner over in the Family Life Center, so when you come in next Sunday morning, just take your food over to the Family Life Center, and there'll be some ladies over there that'll arrange it on the tables and different things, but uh, everybody just cook and just bring all kinds of food and things like that. If you'll see me, I'll, I'll let you know in particular what we would like to have and what would be healthy for everybody next Sunday. But uh, just take your food by the Family Life Center, and we're looking forward to a good day. And then I want all of you just to mark your calendar to plan on being here every night of the meeting, choir, everybody. I really anticipate this year just being a wonderful, wonderful year. Our theme this year is Come and Dine. Brother Tom be dealing with that theme every night in the services. In the morning services, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Brother Victor Maxwell from uh, uh, Belfast, or really Bambridge, just outside of Belfast, Northern Ireland, be our morning speaker. So it's just going to be a great, great week in the Lord. But all that starts next Sunday. Now, call everybody, invite everybody you can. And just bring all your family and friends next Sunday. It's going to be a great day. And then also next Sunday, Lord willing, my new book on this day, uh, they're going to uh, introduce it here next Sunday. Uh, Ambassador Emerald House out of Greenville, South Carolina. I did this for them. It's a, uh, entitled On This Day. It's 366 daily devotions. And uh, uh, it'll be here next Sunday. I'm rather proud of it. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. But it'll be here next Sunday. They're going to introduce it here before they send it out to the bookstores. But uh, that'll be available next Sunday. So uh, I'll let you have it. I think it sells for $14.95. I'll let you have it for $14.94. And since it's a church... But that'll be here next Sunday. And uh, listen, I've never in all of my life, they asked me a year ago if I would do this for them. And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to. But I never realized the work that was involved. But it'll be here next week, and we're excited about that. Let's pray and you give. And then right after the offering, we're going to recognize several special guests that we have. Father, we thank you for the privilege of giving to you. We thank you for all that you've done and for all you're doing. Continue to move in this service now in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're excited about our new preschool department and the changes that we've made in the building. And we have just a few little odds and ends to get done. But we wanted to invite those, some of those that were responsible for it, and just to publicly express our appreciation and let them know how much we appreciate the good job they've done for us and, and just the good thing. I know everybody's excited about it, especially the parents. Are you enjoying the new nurseries? Yeah, I know you are. In fact, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about going to Sunday school back there myself. I'm enjoying it, but uh, uh, we have several here today from construction consultants, and and we appreciate them taking the time to be here today because we just want to say publicly to you how much we appreciate uh, uh, the good job you do for us. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate uh, these folks. They have become our friends. They are like part of our family around here. This is the second job they've done for us in the past. Two years, we uh, dedicated uh, the front part, it would be next Sunday, last year, <clears throat> and so uh, we, they, this, this is a group of folks that uh, uh, I could not express enough to them how much I appreciate them. They're a pleasure to work with, a joy to be around, and as I said, we count them as friends. I appreciate the quality of their work, <clears throat> the attention they give to details, uh, their willingness to go the extra mile for it, and uh, I just appreciate these folks so much. I wanted you to get to know them and meet them, and so we could publicly express our thanks to them. Good to have several with us from Construction Consultants. As I call their name, I want them to stand, and then we'll give them all the good hands. Good to have Bruce and Marcia Case. This is the owner of Construction Consultants, and Scott and Terry Stoker, and Mike and Kim Roberts, and Gary and uh, Judy. Are they here? They didn't get to make it. Let's give these folks. Let's show them how much we appreciate them. Thank you so much. Did a great job for us. Thank you. 
I've told them we have made them our official church builders. They do a great job for you. Again, thank you so much for being here. And one of the features in our preschool nursery, of course, is Noah's Ark, is the artwork. Everybody's loving it. I think the, the parents are enjoying that as much as the children are. And if you haven't gone through it, you need to go through and see it. We put some of the deacons on the door and a few things like that back there. It really looks good. But the lady that's responsible for all that artwork is here today, and that's Laverne Johnson. Ms. Johnson, would you stand? We're so thankful and appreciate the good job you did for us. Let's show our appreciation to her. Thank you. You did a great job. Thank you again so much for everything. And then there's one more person that I want to say thank you to. And uh, it's done so much for us, and uh, many of you don't even know about it. But Tony Bennett from the s &M Building Supply, he's been such a help to us in this project. Tony, would you stand? Thank you so much. We appreciate all you've done for us. Thank you. Thank you.
good, ain't he? All the time. Good stuff.
I want us to stand. Tracy said God is good. We haven't done that little course in a couple of weeks. Let's do that. Let's do it slow one time, and then we'll pick it up a little bit on the second time. But the Lord is good, is He not? I'll tell you what. It amazes me and thrills me. I spoke to the auditorium class last night at Sand Mountain, and, and I just told him, I said, just stand amazed at what the Lord is doing. I come and get up in the morning. It's what He's doing is on my mind all through the day. It's just so much, so many wonderful things are happening. I can't get over it. God is good to us. He is good. Brings us back. He saves us. He cleanses us. He blesses us. Let's do this slow, and then we'll pick it up as we do it. And let's sing it today. While these are praying, and maybe others want to come pray, you come anytime you want to. That's what we're here for, to do business with the Lord. We hadn't come to a funeral home. We've come to worship a risen Savior, one that's on the throne. And so let's sing it to the Lord in worship, and then I'll bring the message. God is good all the time.
you believe that, say amen. amen. Just remain standing. I got to stand for the next 45 minutes, amen. So, no, not quite that long. Praise the Lord for these that have come. This young lady got everything right. The Lord this morning, Sherry. That's great. Are you glad the Lord is in the business of meeting needs in life? Amen. Amen. Quickly take your Bible. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And I'm going to draw your attention to one verse and to one statement within that verse this morning. And I want us to think today for just a little while on what can wash away my sins. What can wash away my sins? Look at 1 John 1, and notice verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible said, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And look at this statement. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. I don't know about you, but I love that statement. In fact, I don't need anything else just to kind of set my soul on fire. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth from all sin. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then this morning for just a little while, we'll think about the thought, what can wash away my sins? Father, this morning in Jesus' name, what a joy it is to know that our sins are gone. What a blessing it is, Lord, to know that our sins have been washed and cleansed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for meeting needs in this service. And we ask you, Lord, that you'll continue to meet needs in this service. Now, Father, I yield myself to you that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that I might be anointed afresh and anew with the blessed touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. So give me that which I need. I pray that you'll control my everything about me, that I might be a vessel for the next few moments to give the Word of God that you want for this service. So open every heart to be receptive to your Word, and we'll thank you and we'll praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I love a story that I ran across not too long ago about an old black deacon. And he was an old deacon that shouted all the time. He shouted during the singing. He shouted during the preaching. He shouted from the time he got to church to the time he left church. He shouted at home. He shouted all the time. He shouted at, all, at every provocation. He was like the fellow said, I'll shout at the drop of the hat and even drop the hat. Well, he shouted all the time. But as long as his old pastor was there, it was no problem. His old pastor liked the shouting. His old pastor was of the shouting kind, so it didn't bother him. But the old pastor died. And the church called a young pastor. He was a college man. He's an excellent preacher, fiery preacher, but he was very formal. And he preached in a frock tail coat, very precise in his English, and very polished in his mannerisms. But he didn't like the shouting. In fact... Uh, he, he said something to deacons about it. And he said, stop it. Get this thing stopped. They didn't say anything about it. But the old man just kept on shouting. Whenever the pastor would preach, he'd crank loose and he'd let loose, amen, glory to God, amen, hallelujah at the top of his voice. Finally, the young new pastor got a couple of the deacons together and said, I want this stopped. You go to the old man this week and get it stopped. 
So that week the deacons went to see the old man. They found him out in the field plowing, had his mule hitched to the plow. And so they walked across the field to where he was at, and they talked to him about the crops. They talked to him about the weather. They talked to him about the family and this, that, and the other. And finally they got down to the purpose of their visit. And they said to him, said, now we likes you. We knows you got religion. We knows you get happy in the Lord. But our new pastor, he doesn't like you shouting. He says it hurts his preaching. He says it bothers him when he preaches. And he said it's not dignified and it's not respectable. Well, the old man had been standing there holding the reins to his mule, staring at the ground, quietly listening to what they were saying. And finally, he looked up at them and said, Brethren, he said, I noticed what y'all's talking about. I noticed our new preacher didn't like me shouting. And he said, I want to give it up. And he said, I make up my mind. I'm not going to shout in the service. But then I think how Jesus came down from heaven, how he died for me and how he washed me in his blood. So when I think how he saved my black soul, he said, brethren, holds my mule while I shout. Say amen. I want to say to you this morning, there are times I feel like that old deacon. And there's times when I get to thinking about how one day, April the 2nd, 1972, God saved my soul. I want to just take off, say, someone come up here and take my place while I shout. Amen? I'm saying to you this morning that one of the reasons every believer has a reason to rejoice is to know that our sins have been washed away through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we rejoice when we come here is to know that our sins have been gone. We sing with Merrill Dunlap, Once my heart was black, but now what joy my sins are blotted out, I know. I have peace that nothing can destroy. My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. They're buried in the depths of the deepest sea. My sins are blotted out, I know. Aren't you glad today you've been cleansed from your sins? Amen. Well, in our text in John, 1 John 1, James, or rather John, talks about the matter of cleansing. As I said a moment ago, I love this verse. It contains one of my favorite statements in the Bible. In fact, in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. And I refer to the words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. As I said, just to read those words stirs my heart. But I want us to look at that statement. There are three things that I want you to think with me about this morning about the matter of cleansing. Jot these three things down. Follow me as we work our way through the statement. The first thing that I want to draw to your attention is this, and that is the reason for cleansing. When we talk about the matter of cleansing, talk about the matter of being cleansed, why are we cleansed? What is the reason for our cleansing? At the very beginning, we must establish the fact and acknowledge the fact that cleansing is something that is necessary. You see, there is a reason for cleansing. James or John talks about cleansing, and he gives us a reason for cleansing. What is that reason? It's found in one word, and that is the little word sin. Put a circle, underline the word sin in that statement. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. Underline the word sin. That is the reason for cleansing. If there were no sin, there would be no need for cleansing. You see, sin creates the need for cleansing. Sin gives us the reason for cleansing. Sin is the cause for cleansing. Well, just a moment, look at the word sin. And let me just point out two things that the Bible talks about or has to say about this matter of sin. For example, first, 
You notice in our text here that we have a description of sin. Again, you find the word sin. There are many words translated sin in the Bible. And there are many words found in the Bible that depict sin, define sin, and describe sin, and demonstrate sin. Many words to define what sin is all about. The particular word that is used here in 1 John 1, 7 is a word that means to miss the mark. It comes from a word that means to miss the mark by coming short. When we say that a person is sin, we're saying that that individual has missed the mark. When we say that a person is sin, we're saying that that individual has missed the mark because they said, for all have sinned, and what? And come short of the glory of God. When the Bible defines sin as missing the mark, and when the Bible defines sin as coming short, it is stating that we have missed the mark or have come short of the glory of God. There's an interesting picture there. The picture is of an archer drawing his bow, taking aim, and then releasing his arrow only to miss the target. And he misses the target not because he shoots wide to the right, and not because he shoots wide to the left, but he misses the target because his arrow falls short. He doesn't have the ability to reach the target, much less hit the target. I thought about this week. I remember the first time that I ever went bow hunting. Used to do a lot of deer hunting. Hadn't done it in a while. But I, I remember the first time I ever went bow hunting. The only problem was I probably had not practiced with my bow 15 minutes at the most. Someone had given me a bow. Someone had set the sights on my bow. They had showed me how to aim using the sights on the bow. So I shot a couple arrows in the back of the house. And so I figured I pretty well had it down. So I went bow hunting first time and practiced about 15 minutes. I had found the ravine where you tell deer were moving through. So I thought, there'll be some deer here. It was a bank on either side. So I got up on this bank early in the morning. Went with several fellows. In fact, Rick, I don't know if you're with us or not. But I got up there in the woods, and I knew if deer walked through there, all I had to do was fire right down on it. So I'm sitting up there about 5.30 in the morning, just as warm as I can be. You know how that goes. And I was sitting there, and I heard, just right after sunup, I heard them coming. And I looked down in the ravine, and there walked three deer. They were right in front of me. I picked up my bow and I aimed at the biggest one. And I pulled the arrow back and I released it and I heard it go thud. And I looked down and I had missed the deer and I had come short of the deer about 12 feet. Well, the deer did the strangest thing. All three of them jumped, their tails shot up and then they froze. And they all had this look on their face like, don't move and we'll be all right. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to get another shot. They just stood there. So I shot at the smallest one. It didn't matter, or the closest one. It didn't matter to me whether it's big, small, medium, large, fat, skinny. It didn't matter. I shot at the closest one. And I did the same thing. I came short about 10 feet. Well, we all went back to the truck to make a long story short. We went back when everybody was coming back in. They were all saying, see anything? Anybody see anything? No, didn't see anything. How about you? Didn't see anything. Finally, one of them said, preacher, did you see anything? I said, nope, didn't see a thing. <laughs> I said, I don't even believe there's any deer around here. I said, preacher, you lied. Yeah, I did. Because <laughs> I knew I could confess my lying to God. And he'd forgive me. wouldn't tell anybody about it. But if I told them, they wouldn't ever let me live it down. But I came short. 
Sin is missing the mark. Sin is taking aim at something. There is a target out there, but you miss the mark because you don't have the ability to even get to the target. Now, when you talk about sin, we get this idea that sin is, 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 is what we do. We have this idea, think of sin in terms of what we do. And it is true that sin consists of the things that we do, things that are condemned by God, things that are prohibited by God. But I want you to understand something this morning. Sin is more than what you do. Sin is that which you can't do. And that is, there is the standard of God. You come short of the glory of God, which is synonymous with the holiness of God, the perfection of God, the righteousness of God. And since God is holy, we got to be holy to live in His presence. And since God is perfect, we have to be perfect to live in His presence. And since God is righteous, we have to be made righteous to live in His presence. So that's the standard. And when you try to reach that standard, you come short of the glory of God. Therefore, friend, it stands to be recognized this morning that everybody is sin and the whole world is guilty before God. Amen? It is missing the mark. A description of sin. But look at the context. You not only see in, in the text a description of sin, but you see in the context a denial of sin. For you notice as you look at 1 John chapter 1, twice in the chapter he talks about those who deny sin. Verse 8, you see the words, if we say that we have no sin. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sin. There is a denial of sin. There is one that says, I don't have any sin. There's another that says, I'm not guilty of sin. I've not committed sin. Well, the Bible's very plain in answering these denials. Verse 8, it says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. In verse 10, he said, if you say that you have not sinned, then you make God a liar and his word is not in you. You see, friend, when we deny that we have sinned, we're deceiving ourselves. You're only fooling yourself if you think that you can live perfect. And furthermore, you're rejecting what God's Word has to say about sin. I remind you once again of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Is there anybody here today perfect? Now you say, Brother Ken, I've lived a good life. I've never really been an immoral person. I've never really done a lot of bad things. And I compliment you for that. And I commend you for that kind of life. But I want you to understand something. You've never lived perfect. Somewhere you have sinned. Somewhere you have failed. And when you sin, you came short of what God requires. All it takes is one sin to condemn you. All it takes is just sinning one time. And you come short and you miss the mark. So therefore, I want you to understand today, it doesn't matter how good you are. And even at your very best, you still have to join the rest of us and say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's sinned. That's the reason for cleansing. Sin. If there were no sin, there would be no cleansing. There's cleansing because there is sin. But jot down a second thing. Not only in the text do you see the reason for cleansing, but the second thing that you see is the requirement for cleansing. You see, the second thing I want to draw your attention to in the text is the words, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. You not only see the word sin, which gives us the reason for cleansing, but in the words, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, you have the requirement for cleansing. Now, here's the question. How can a person be cleansed? We're all guilty. We've all sinned. 
We all fell. The Lord, we're all condemned before God. So how can I be cleansed? How can I be cleansed from my sin? Listen to me carefully today. Cleansing can only be found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cleansing can't be found anywhere else. You can't find forgiveness of your sins anywhere else or in anything else. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your sin. It's like the old song says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this I plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Now the Bible's very plain about sin. We've all sinned. But it's also very plain about the blood and the necessity of the blood. For example, I think of a couple of things. One, I think about the blood and the necessity of the blood. I think of how it is demonstrated in the Bible. How the necessity of the blood is demonstrated in the Bible. Is the blood necessary to be cleansed? The Bible demonstrates that over and over and over again. And I don't have time to point them all out, but just a few of them I draw to your attention. For example, I think of Adam and Eve. And you remember the story of how Adam and Eve sinned and how they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. And then how God came along and rejected their aprons and he, God gave them coats of skin. God rejected their aprons and he gave them coats. The word apron is descriptive of that which goes around the waist. It would be like uh, the bushman would wear or like the Indians used to wear. It's just like an apron that went around uh, their waist. But the word coat comes from a word that means to cover. And it's descriptive of covering from the neck all the way down to the ankles. You see, their aprons gave them partial covering. But the coats God gave them gave them complete covering. But the difference was God said no to one and gave them something else because the sewing of the fig leaves together, that represented their covering. That represented what they did to cover their sin and shame. That was their own works. That was their own efforts. But God said, your works can't cleanse you from sin. Your efforts can't cleanse you from sin. I've got to provide the covering for your sin. So what did God give them? Did he give them fig leaves? No, the Bible calls it coats of skin. Or we would render it more literally a skinned animal. In other words... In order for them to be covered from their sin and shame, an animal had to die. And, a, and blood had to be shed. In the very beginning of time, at the entrance of sin in the world, God made it very clear, I will not accept your works. I'll not accept your efforts. I will only accept the shedding of blood to cover your sin. Same thing true about the offering of Abel and Cain. Here was Abel. Here was Cain. He brought a beautiful offering of fruits, the works of the ground. But here was Abel. He brought a lamb. Here was Cain. He brought this beautiful fruit basket and set it up on the altar before God. But what did Abel do? He took a lamb, cut its throat, drained its blood out, and burned it upon an altar. But God accepted the lamb. He turned down the fruit. Because again, God was establishing the fact and demonstrating the fact that the only way you can deal with sin is through the shedding of blood. That the only way a man can have his sins cleansed is through the death of an innocent one for the guilty one and the shedding of his blood. Same thing true about the sacrificial system of the Jewish people. Yearly, 
thousands of lambs were slain. Daily, hundreds of lambs were slain. Blood was shed to make atonement for the sins of the people. Untold number of lambs, bullocks, goats, turtle doves were offered as sacrifices. W.D. Davis in his book, Paul and the Rabbinic Judaism, says at the temple at Jerusalem every year, they were sacrificed 1,093 lambs. 113 bulls, 37 rams, and 32 goats. And that was just the official sacrifices. That didn't count the personal sacrifices. They were literally hundreds offered every day. But I want to remind you something. The Jewish sacrificial system was more than a religion or a system that had been established and developed by the Jewish people. It was more than what... Their way of worshiping their God, you might say. They didn't come up with it. I want to remind you this morning, the way their sacri- the sacrificial system was arranged and appointed by God. And God arranged that system and God appointed that system to remind men that the only way their sins can be atoned for is in the shedding of blood. And I could go on and on. The Bible demonstrates the necessity of the shedding of the blood. But it also, secondly, declares the necessity of the shedding of the blood. The necessity of the blood is declared in the Bible. It is demonstrated but plainly declared in Hebrews 9, 22, that without the shedding of blood is no remission. That word remission, it simply means forgiveness, cleansing, washing. In other words, the Bible is very plain. If Jesus doesn't die, there's no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus doesn't die and shed his blood, there's no cleansing from sin. If Jesus Jesus doesn't die and shed his blood, there is no remission, there is no washing, there is no cleansing, there is no forgiveness of sin. I want you to listen to me today. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin is the reason for cleansing. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the requirement for cleansing. But here's the third and the final thing. This is what I want you to get today. You not only see a reason for cleansing in our text and a requirement for cleansing in our text, but I want you to look at the result of cleansing in our text. As one, there's a third and a final thing I want to draw your attention to in the text, and that is the word cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. See that word cleanseth? It literally means to purge. It means to purify. It means to wash something like a dirty garment. To wash that garment and to make it clean. The word was originally used to describe a Greek ritual and ceremony and washings that qualified a person to approach his gods. When the Bible said that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin, it is telling us that God washes our sins away. It is telling us that God cleanses us from our sin, that he purifies us from our sins. Are you been, have you been cleansed today? Have you had your sins washed away? To have your sins cleansed through the blood means that God has taken your old, dirty, hell-deserving life and washed you in His blood and made you as white as snow. He has purged you and purified you. I think about it a great part of the religions held many years ago in Chicago. Practically every known religion was gathered. 
And during one of the sessions, there was a doctor, Joseph Cook. It was his turn to speak, and he walked out on the platform, looked out over that mass audience, and then he said, Gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with great sorrow. Blood stains are on her hands, and nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Gentlemen, is there anything in your religion that will remove her sin and give her peace? A hush fell over the huge gathering. Then raising his eyes toward heaven, Dr. Cook cried out, John, can you tell us how this woman can get rid of her awful sin? Then Dr. Cook paused for a moment as if listening for a reply, and then he cried out, listen, John speaks. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. Oh, listen to me. What happens when a man is cleansed? He is purged. Look at the text. Two things about this cleansing. (laughs) There's, first of all, a certain cleansing. He said, look at it. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. The tense. And the implication of that statement is that if you will come, he will cleanse. In other words, it's certain. Are you listening to me this morning? Are you listening to me? You got your sins, dirty, dark, defiled sins. You've lived immoral. You've lived like the devil himself. I want you to listen to me. God said, if you'll bring me your sins, I will wash your sins as white as snow. He said, I'll do it. You'll come to me. But look at something else. This is what blesses me. There is not only certain cleansing, but there is complete cleansing. Notice carefully. He said that he would cleanse us from all sin. Let me read it again. He will cleanse us from all A-double-L. All sin. When I got my concordance down this week and looked up that word all, This is the definitions I found. Any, every, the whole, whatsoever, whosoever. Are you listening to me this morning? John is telling us, the Bible is telling me, that God will cleanse me of any sin. He's telling me that he'll cleanse me of every sin. He'll cleanse me of the whole mess. Whatsoever, whosoever, he'll cleanse me of all sin. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for the word all. Because if the word all wasn't there, then we might come alone and say, but God won't forgive of this. Maybe God won't forgive me of this sin. Or maybe God won't forgive me of that sin. But God doesn't say some sins. Thank God he says he cleanseth from all sin. Oh, I've met people down through the years who the devil told them that they had sinned and they had done something so bad and so horrible that God could not forgive them. And someone, maybe man, or they heard this on TV, someone gave them the impression that they had done something that God would never forgive them for. You listen to me today. Listen to me. In fact, listen to God. Don't listen to what the devil says. Don't listen to what man has to say. You listen to what God says. What does God say? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. Thank God for that. 
That Sunday morning in 1972 when I knelt at that altar in the mountains of North Carolina, God didn't forgive me a 30% of my sins. He didn't forgive me a 50% of my sins. He forgave me of all my sins. I was thinking the other day, back early in the year, I told the story of Carla Faye Tucker, and you may remember it. And you may remember the name Carla Faye Tucker. She was the first woman executed in Texas since the Civil War. She was put to death February the 3rd, 1998. Of all the executions going on in our country, there was something about the execution of Carla Faye Tucker that caught the attention of our nation, even the world. There was fact, I'll be honest with you, there was something about Carla Faye Tucker that caught my attention. See, Carla Faye Tucker, in June of 1983, her and her companion Daniel Garrett, you know the story, brutally murdered Jerry Landine and Deborah Thornton. On that June night in 1983, they slipped into Dean's apartment, and as Dean was getting out of the bed, Garrett struck him in the head with a hammer. And when he fell back, he continued striking him in the head and the hammer. Carla Faye Tucker had a pickaxe, and she buried it in the torso of Deborah Thornton. But she didn't stop there. They didn't stop there. She kept striking Thornton with the pickaxe, hitting her in the chest, hitting her in the legs, hitting her in the stomach, hitting her in the shoulders. And then as if to make a game out of it, Garrett threw a blanket over her head to blindfold her, and she treated Thornton's body as if it was a pinata. And just kept beating and beating and beating and beating until Deborah Thornton's body was nothing but mush. And then when she got through with him, she went over to the body of, of, uh, of Dean and she hit him 20 times. And before they walked out, she left the pickaxe impaled in the heart of Deborah Thornton. Horrible crime. I think all of you would agree with me today. You'd have to put that kind of crime as the, in the worst of the worst. And the vilest of the vilest and the darkest of the darkest. And someone would say it'd take a very evil person to do something like that. And I would agree with you. I shudder when I even think about it. But this is what caught my attention about Carla Faye Tucker. What caught my attention was what happened after she was arrested. She was put in a Harris County jail. One night, Nicky Cruz, his association, had held a service there. One of his groups held a service there, and a girl by the name of Karen Gill, a reformed drug addict, had just given her testimony about how she had lived, a, child, lived a, and li a childhood on heroin. When the service was over, this frizzy-haired young woman walked up to Gill and wanted to know if it was true that she, was 12, she had been 12 years old when she first plunged a needle into her arms. And she said, yes, it's true. And the girl looked at her and said, well, I was 10 years old. Karen Gill began to talk to the lady, the young lady, and gave her a Bible, talked to her about the Lord and gave her a Bible. That girl was Carla Faye Tucker. She took that Bible back to her jail cell, and that night she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And the testimony of our life from there on out gave evidence that her conversion was real and that Jesus had saved her and God had cleansed her from her sin. Now, you listen to me this morning. If God could, and if God would forgive a Carla Faye Tucker for her sin, then I've got good news for you. 
God will forgive you of your sin. And God will forgive you of your sin. And God will forgive you of your sin. If God would forgive somebody like Carla Faye Tucker, then blessed be God, he can wash me as white as snow. And he can cleanse me of all of my sin. Are you listening to me today? I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your guilt is. I don't care what you have done. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. One of my visits to Bun Hill Fields in London. It's an old cemetery there. Directly across the street from Wesley's house, John Wesley's house and John Wesley's church. I ran across, it's just a cemetery just full of names and church history and so forth. It was a nonconformist burial ground. But one of my visits there, in fact, was when Sherry was with me, and I think she went shopping, so I went over to Bun Hill Fields. I ran across a name on a tomb that excited me. It was the name Lady Anne Erskine. When I saw it, my heart just leapt for joy. And right across from the tomb was a bench, so I sat down on the bench and had a good time in the Lord as I thought about a story I had read about Lady Anne Erskine. Lady Anne Erskine was a very wealthy lady, a very prominent lady, young lady, but very wealthy, very prominent in the uh, city of London. One day she was in her carriage and she noticed a huge gathering. She asked the driver of her carriage what was going on. He said, I'll find out. He came back in a few minutes and said, the, the British preacher Roland Hill is preaching. She said, I've heard of his name. I would like to hear him. So she got out of the carriage and went inside to hear Roland Hill. The place was packed. She started down the aisle looking for a seat. Everybody turned in the direction of Lady Anne Erskine. They knew who she was. You could hear whispers all over the bill. That's Lady Anne Erskine. That's Lady Anne Erskine. And everybody just turned and looked as she walked down the aisle. Roland Hill realized that he had lost the attention of the audience. And then he did a most unusual thing. He shouted out, said, Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention once again? I want to have an auction. And he said, I, and then he pointed back at Lady Ann Erskine and said, I'm going to sell her soul to the highest bidder. She froze right there in the aisle. Everybody, you can hear a pin drop. He said, there's three that wants to bid for, the world, the devil, and Jesus Christ. Then Roland Hill began to play the part of the auctioneer. World, what will you pay for this lady? Riches, honor, pleasure, not enough. She's worth far more than that. Devil, what will you bid for her? Possessions, the riches of the earth, not enough. Riches disappear like the night when the morning sun comes up. Then he'll shout it out. I hear the voice of the third buyer, Jesus Christ. What is it that you're bidding, my Lord? You say you'll give her your grace here and eternal glory hereafter and that your blood will cleanse her from all sin. Lord, she's yours. And then Roland Hill looked at the startled and surprised Lady Anne Erskine and said, what do you think of this bargain? He died for you. Can you, will you, this moment, 
surrender to him. And standing right there in that aisle, the wealthy, prominent Lady Anne Erskine trusted Jesus Christ and lived the rest of her life and contributed much of her wealth to the cause of Jesus Christ. Look up here at me this morning. I'm going I'm, I'm to close, but I'm going to close with this offer to you. I come to everyone out this morning with this offer. It's an offer from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an offer that I bring from him to you for you to get rid of your guilt. It's an offer for you to get rid of the heavy burden of sin. It's an offer for you to give up a wasted life. It's an offer for you to find the joy of knowing that heaven is your home. Christ is your Savior. It is an offer to get peace and assurance in your heart and to know that whatever you have done has been washed away. This is my offer from my blessed Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. That's God's offer to you today. Let's stand their feet. Sin is the reason we need cleansing. 